Now, are you ready for our text? It's found in Mark chapter 2. I'll begin reading at verse 1 and read through verse 12. The Word of God says this. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, uh, just a couple of quick things by way of introduction I wanted to sh- you to see in verses 1 and verse 2. I- I'm assuming for the moment that, at least hopefully, uh, that all of us know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You probably also know that he was raised in Nazareth. But this is what you may not have heard before. He considered Capernaum his home, at least his home base or his headquarters. Most of his three-year earthly ministry was conducted from that base in Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and all of that Galilean ministry, John 6 and all in there, that was conducted out of that headquarters in Capernaum. (laughs) Pardon me, but notice secondly, you were told in verse 2 that he was teaching them the word. What word? Well, the only word that existed then was the Old Testament. So he was teaching them the Old Testament. We're being told in some circles that we need to, quote, unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And yet, Jesus, (laughs) Jesus taught it. So, uh, don't unhitch. Just stay with the Old Testament, guys. Now, gang, um, early on, I mean, this is Mark chapter 2. This is very early in his ministry. Um, from his base in Capernaum, Jesus uh, it begins to teach something. He, be, he makes a point that is to set the stage for the entirety of his ministry from this point. He is teaching us something very fundamental that he will promote, teach, expand uh, for for the duration of his three years among us or in his ministry. And it is found right here in this story of Mark chapter 2. There is a claim that he makes in this story that is the centerpiece 
of all that will be taught here from this point on. Um, what he claims here, nobody else claims. The claim, of course, is that Jesus claims to forgive sin. Oh, blah, 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 Dr. Young, we've, we know that. Uh, I mean, could you teach us something that we don't know? Now, folks, therein, I would suggest to you, lies the problem. Um, because we take this thing, forgiveness, for granted. When in fact... The fact that forgiveness is available at all should call us, cause us all to wonder in amazement after all we've done. Folks, nobody, nobody else makes a claim like this not confucius not buddha not mohammed what they do is to try and map out a path for you on which you might walk in the hopes that you'll walk well enough to earn your forgiveness at the end of that path nobody makes this claim Nobody ever says, I, on the basis of who I am, have authority to forgive sin. That's only made once by this person, Jesus Christ. So you see, folks, the remarkable part of this story is not the crowd. It's not the four friends. It's not the fact that they took the roof off. The glorious part of this story is not even the paralytic. The glorious part of this story is the claim. The claim that Jesus has authority to forgive sin. The, the fact that forgiveness is available at all is the wondrous part of this story guys gang the big question is not why God finds it difficult to forgive but how he finds it possible to forgive at all now, wait just a minute here, Dr. Young. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I've been going around church all my life, and uh, I've always been told that forgiveness is just what God does. I mean, you know, uh, uh, he's in the business of forgiving. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I say to you that nothing is less obvious than forgiveness. This is a quote from... Um, Two quotes. Let me give you one from Emil Brunner, who's an old German. He says this, Forgiveness is the very opposite 
of anything that can be taken for granted. Here's another one. Forgiveness is to man the plainest of duties. To God, it is the profoundest of problems. Because how does a God of infinite holiness permit sin in his presence at all? Well, folks, take a look at this story with me. Um, you notice that in the mind of Christ, the paralytics, this man on the, the bed, the cot, his biggest need was not his paralysis. You see that in verse 5. The biggest need that this man has is not his, not his paralysis, it's his sin. Um, as this man is being lowered from the ceiling down in front of Jesus, Jesus fixates not on his disability. He fixates on the man's sin. Now, guys, um, I don't know what this man might have thought at the time. You know, he may have been disillusioned and disappointed. You know, I came all the way over here. My friends probably all because I wanted to walk. Maybe he's confused. You know, I don't, I don't know what it means that my sin is forgiven. I don't know how this man was responding to this, but this much I know. Jesus looked at this man on a cot in his paralysis and addresses not his health, but his sin. Let me go one step further. Jesus does not say to the man, Oh, dear fellow, I know how horrible it has been for you not to be able to walk all these years. And I want you to know that I'm going to get to that paralysis thing just in a quick minute. If you'll just let me deal with this over here. I, I want to get to that <clears throat> because I say to you, <clears throat> you're, you're, this paralysis is, 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 is priority number two. He never says anything like that, folks. In fact... The only reason that we get the miracle at all is a means by which he can establish the claim. Um, he says to the man, your sin's forgiven. And the people in the audience say, well, that's blasphemy. He shouldn't be saying that. And Jesus says, oh, you mean you question that I have the right to forgive sins on earth? Then watch this. Get up. Take your cotton and go home. Do you, do, you, do you see, ladies and gentlemen, the miracle of allowing the man to walk again is a means to an end. And the end is that we might all know that forgiveness of sin is to be found in him. You know, guys, I, I have quoted this man before. Um, um, I, I, it seems like a couple, three weeks ago, I quoted him. J.C. Ryle, he's an Anglican. 
And, and he said in his book entitled Holiness, he said that forgiveness is the Christian's most prized possession. I love that statement. Forgiveness is the Christian's most prized possession. Now, do you think the paralytic would have said that? Oh, I can't wait to get to Jesus. Because then I can get forgiveness of my sin. Maybe. Tell me this. Um, would you consider forgiveness your most prized possession? Well, you know, I'm, I'm single and I really would like to be married. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, and, uh, and I'm, I'm really in debt and I, I need to... I need to get out of debt. And you know, um, uh, I'm very much underemployed and I need to get a job that, you know, is better, better job for me, you know, and I'm, um, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm renting and I, I really would like uh, to, to buy a house. I mean, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and, and you know, I got some sin. Well, you know, we're all sinners. <laughs> Folks. All of us like the sound of this word forgiveness. But have you seen it as Jesus teaches us here that the most pressing need we have is our sin. You know, years ago, uh, an American psychiatrist by the name of Carl Menninger, it must have been 35, 40 years ago, he wrote a book, I, I love the book, I think we studied it on the staff, but the, the title of the book is, Whatever Became of Sin? Where did sin go? I mean, does nobody sin anymore? I mean, uh, uh, what became of it? And so he explains, he answers his own question, and this is the way that he answers the question, whatever became of sin? And I'm quoting him. He says this. Many former sins have become crimes so that the responsibility for dealing with them has passed from church to state, from priest to policeman, while others have dissipated into sicknesses or at least into symptoms of sicknesses so that in their case, punishment has been replaced by therapy. A third convenient device called collective irresponsibility has enabled us to transfer the blame for some of our own deviant behavior uh, as individuals to a society as a whole. We're not sinners. We're victims. <clears throat> Excuse me. And because of our victimhood, we have a whole gamut of scapegoats at our disposal. We can blame our genes. We can blame our chemistry or our temporary hormonal imbalance. We can blame our early childhood, you know, our parenting, our parents, our body, my body training was really pitiful. And then, and then there's, um, the my educational and my environment. And so you put all that together and we've got this, this infallible alibi. We don't have to think about 
sin. We have to figure out why we engage in that deviant behavior. We're going to stand before God and we're going to say, well, the reason that I lost my temper and slapped my husband and then I called him all those foul, terrible names is because of my PMS. (laughs) Folks, see if that flies. The issue, ladies and gentlemen, is my sin. And, and don't you see it in this story? All these people around and the, the spotlight is on Jesus and here comes this poor pitiful man in and he is going to, they're going to, lower, they're going to take the roof off and then they're going to lower it down. And everybody's wondering what he's going to do next. And he addresses sin. So when some wild-eyed, fanatical human being like me stands up, or J.C. Ryle, and says that the Christian's most prized possession is is our forgiveness, the response is tepid at best. Guys, do, do you realize that the New Testament has five different Greek words that are translated sin or transgression or five different words. And I'm going to spare you all of the Greek into my display of the great command of the Greek language. But I am going to say this much. The New Testament sees sin as a much bigger deal than we do. In fact, folks, <coughs> the New Testament sees sin and the treatment of it. <coughs> Pardon me. As our biggest need. You know, um, John Stott in his book. said that in addition to the five words, there are five (coughs) metaphors. Five metaphors for for sin. Height, distance, light, fire, and vomiting. All three of those are designed to show... (coughs) My dear faithful wife, thank you, Vanna. Uh, All five of those metaphors designed to to underscore God's distance and his light and fire and vomiting. Because when we think of sin, guys, we must always think of it in the setting of or in the context of God's holiness. Guys, sin is not sowing wild oats. 
Sin is not passing from adolescence to adulthood. Sin is hostility to God. It's replacing Him with self. It's a cosmic rebellion. This holy God of ours is not indulgent. He is indignant. So the first thing that we see right here in Mark 2 as Jesus begins his ministry, five verses into it, is this claim. Guys, do you remember when um, Adam and Eve chose to eat the um, apple in, in Cosmic Rebellion? You know, do you know, right upon the entrance of sin, Jesus gives us the first glimpse of the gospel in verse 15 of Genesis 3. And right as the Savior arrives, he wants to make sure that people understand. I have authority on earth to forgive sin. <clears throat> Guys, the 21st century religionist is prone to saunter up into God's presence, expecting a smile and an offer of friendship, never dreaming that he might get sent away. Can I read you this? This is, um, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, um, and someone said to him, Lord, will there, those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen, shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, oh, I mean, we ate and we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Can I say it again? The fact that forgiveness is available at all. is something that should cause the heart of the believer to flip over. Guys, <clears throat> in evangelicalism, we can get to this forgiveness thing way too quickly. We can turn this gospel into something that is emasculated by failing to tell men and women that the thing that has separated them is our sin. Before we get to the part about Jesus' authority on earth to forgive it. Gang, 
Here are the words in Mark 2 on which our souls must feast. There are these. My son, your sin is forgiven. Your selfishness, your pride, your abortion, my, your adultery, your envy, your lying, your homosexuality, your thieving. Once Jesus sees faith, as you see in the story, he responds by saying this, my son, your sin is forgiven. And oh, by the way, I'm also going to provide everything that you're going to need to serve me for the rest of your life. Watch this, son. Arise, walk. Guys, this Jesus has authority to provide forgiveness. But there is no place else. That's the beauty of the gospel. At the center of it is a piece of grand news to people who know their sin. My son, your sin has been forgiven. Romance has been outromanced in the gospel. Nothing so prepares me to live or die than the sweetness of those words from Jesus' lips concerning my sin. That's what Jesus came to procure, ladies and gentlemen. So when you go home today, might those words be ringing in the ears of your soul because of Jesus and only because of Jesus my sin is forgiven. Our Father, would you use um, that piece of grand news, that claim on the part of Jesus Christ, would you use it to remind your people that our sin has been separated as far from us as the east is from the west, not because we deserve that, but because you sent a Savior and granted him authority to forgive sin. We love you, Lord Jesus. We are sorry we love you so little, but would you grant us grace to love you more? We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.